All right, so I want to talk about this a little bit more. So this is the part where I want you to turn to your neighbors um, in like groups of four, and don't be afraid to turn around and talk to people you don't know. Um, talk to me, just talk to, first talk to each other. We'll give you about five to seven minutes until we kind of feel like you've had enough. Um, and I want you to answer these two questions, and we'll, we'll leave them up here. Number one, what makes a producer great? What, what does that mean, a great producer versus so the producers you choose to work with or the ones that you really revere and respect in the industry, um, what, what is it about them that makes them great? And then second, what do you look for when you are engaging in producer relationships? And those of you that don't work directly with producers, try to interpret this in a way that's relevant to you. So do you seek out a retailer that can describe coffees in a certain way that indicates a relationship with producers or whatever your experience is with coffee producers. And then just be prepared to report out. Just um, Steve will be walking the microphone around and we'll, we want to hear from a, a couple of the groups and we're actually going to kind of write down what you say and we're going to come back to it a little bit later. So let's go ahead and take about five to seven minutes talking to your neighbors and answer, coming up with answers to these two questions. Very good. Okay. Well, I'm just I'm 
writing these down so that we can, we're going to come back to this a little bit later, but um, just for the purposes now, I'm going to just kind of recap for everybody in case you couldn't hear. So our, um, what makes a producer great and what we look for in relationships with producers. So I'm going to read this out loud and this will be your agreement that you're, you agree with this. So if you disagree, this is your only chance to add. So producers that listen are adaptable, um, ingest slightly, maybe, maybe not, they wash their coffee. Um, experience that there's a repertoire, um, a method and intention to what they do, innovation, awareness of their output by cupping their own coffee, um, tasting it, and focusing on quality over yield, on-time delivery, integrity, passion, knowledge, understanding the needs of the customer. So, anything, is there any burning questions that we have to add or anyone here that really disagrees with that list? We, we can all live with it. Okay, very good. Let's move on. Um, so let's talk about our old other stupid question number two. Which of these is an educator? So I don't know, you probably don't even remember the, the letters, but um, which was it? B, right. Jim Gaston, he's an educator. Um, so one of the things, like, I don't know if you, if any of you have ever experienced this, but what, like when you go home for the holidays and you're with your parents' friends, and they say, oh, you know, how's work? What, what is it that you do again? Oh, I'm a coffee educator. And they kind of uncomfortably back away and nod. It doesn't really make any sense to people who don't work in the industry. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's worth it for us to ask why we have educators in, a co in the coffee industry. It, it, it doesn't really match what the outside world expects of us as an industry. Um, so we're going to answer this in a couple slides. But Here's another group activity for you. So what I want you to do is to think about what learning is. And then we're going to come back to Jim Gaston and why he works as an educator in the coffee industry. So um, this time, you can work on your own or work with a group or with a pair or whatever, which is a really quick exercise. I want you to describe and answer this question, what, what is learning, in three words or less. And then if you're feeling really ambitious, do it in two. And if you're feeling really ambitious and you want to go to lunch as quickly as possible, <laughs> can you do it in one? Don't click. All right, five minutes. What is learning? Three, two, or one word phrase? <laughs> All right, so let's hear from two people with the three, three word phrase. Volunteers, or my sniper will get you. Uh, well, actually, we got three. Three for three. Three for three, or one we, of each. We got three, two, and one. Okay, uh, let's hear. Let's hear all three of them then. Okay, uh, three. We had acquiring collective knowledge. Okay. Two. We had skill acquisition. And for one, we had growth. Okay. Someone else? Trial by error. Very good. I have one. In the back? Uh, understanding purpose. Two words. Anyone else? Fun. Fun. Again, I'm going to read the list to you. Let's see if there's a theme that, that kind of pops out at you here. 
In fact, there is a right answer that I'm kind of trying to guide you towards. And we're, we're dancing around it a little bit. Um, acquiring collective knowledge, trial by error, skill acquisition, understanding the purpose, growth, fun. Growing is a process between being something and being something else, right? Skill acquisition, you don't have it and then you do. There is an answer to this. What the fundamental quality of learning, what it really is, change. This is why we have learning in the coffee industry. This is why we have educators. Anytime you want to change from something you're not into something you want to be, that's education. And so even though we are an industry around produce, we need education and we need educators in our industry. All right, so moving on. Um, education sometimes, we, we usually largely agree that education is good. You know, you don't, none of us usually have a hard time explaining the need for educating or, or learning or the value of it, but sometimes it can seem like it's more effort than it's worth or that it isn't working or that it's costly or that it's difficult. And all of these things are true about education, but there are ways to actually predict how to go about educating and how to go about learning in ways that we can be productive. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, and the question that we really want to ask and that we want the answer to be yes is, is it worth investing in education when we're, when we're um, working in our jobs in the industry? And really, this has to do with seeking change, seeking some sort of change in our company for the better, wanting to produce more, faster. Um, so let's, moving on. Um, so when we, when we seek change, we, um, there's a relationship between training and motivation that's really important. And over the next few slides, I'm going to talk a little bit about some education theory, um, some things borrowed from the education industry. So you can just kind of click through a bunch of these. Results can be anything. So results are just like what happens in your company. And I want you to think back to what you wrote when we asked you, how do you be more productive? Those are the results that you're seeking. That's the change that you want. You want to apply learning in order to achieve that change. Um, behaviors are just the things that you do in order to produce results or the things that your staff members do. Motivation is what makes them do that, whether it's internally or externally. And then finally, training is what we're hoping actually affects the motivation and sort of sets everything into motion. Now, just why can't we just train people to get results? Um, that seems like it would be a lot more easy, a lot easier. And I think that's one of the mistakes that we make in the industry a lot is um, someone can't do something, I train them, and then they should be able to do it at the end. And it doesn't work that way. And I want to prove to you why this idea of like motivation and behaviors, the sort of hidden side of it, is so much so important for us to um, also focus on. So just imagine that we don't have motivation. So motivation is what makes us do things that we normally wouldn't do just on our own. So when we don't have any, when we're not motivated, human nature takes over. And in that case, it just means doing things the easiest way possible. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently, except when you're thinking about in a business, if things are, if people are always trying to do things the easiest way because they don't have any motivation to do it otherwise, that creates some problems. So mostly like in a retail environment that manifests itself as rogue habits, carelessness, cutting corners, just not, not doing things the way that you want them to be done. And so what does that produce in terms of results? So that gives us things like wasting too much coffee, making bad drinks, inconsistent drinks, poor quality, um, you just kind of summarize it. It gives us bad coffee. So even if we've trained someone how to do it, if we don't give them the motivation to keep doing it, they produce bad coffee. And 
The interesting thing about this is you don't need to train someone to make bad coffee. People can make bad coffee with no training. <laughs> so without this motivation piece, training pointless. It's just, it's never, it's never going to be effective. So um, kind of moving on then, this is um, something that, I love the education industry. They, they quantify all kinds of things for us that working in the coffee industry, you kind of know, but maybe haven't quantified. Um, so this is, has anyone seen this before, this matrix? A couple of you saw it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> um, so this is called, sometimes it's called CASH, K-A-S-H, knowledge, attitudes, uh, skills, and like my eyes are already glazing over, so I like to call it um, like and do well. And this is sort of the colloquial name, this is like what people sometimes call this, the like and do well matrix. H is habits, by the way, I don't want to leave you hanging. But. Um, okay, so what this means here is we have sort of four quadrants, and we use this for exploring gaps in employee performance. So um, we've got our uh, matrix, so uh, the x-axis, do you like what you do? And then the y-axis, do you do it well? Um, so we've got four sort of choices here, so we can just kind of click through. So do you like what you do a lot, or do you not like it, kind of on the x-axis, and then do you do it well? You do it well, you do not do it well, so this gives us Four choices. So um, let's start with the best case scenario. So that's high and high. You do it well, you like what you do. So um, what this means, we call this the environment quadrant. So if someone is already good at what they do and they like it, they do it well. And they do it um, without needing training or motivation. So um, if for some reason you ever have an employee in that situation that is good at what they do and you know they like it, but they're not producing results, we just call that it's an environment issue. So maybe they have something going on in their personal life or there's something, you know, the equipment isn't working properly or something external that can be fixed and remedied without needing to train them. And since they already have high skills, you know, nor normally we don't think about training in that situation anyway. Um, so that's fine. Then the, the next sort of easiest to explain is this one down here in the corner. Someone who does not do things well, they have no skills, and they don't like it, they're, they're, they have a bad attitude, they're not interested in, in learning more. So um, this is my favorite part of this, this word placement. This is a placement issue. It's like, <laughs> like a very kind and gentle way of saying like this person is in the wrong job. <laughs> they, they need to not work for you. you are, you're not gonna train them out of this position. Um, the only thing that fixes this person is, is getting a new job. There's nothing that training can solve in this case. Um, thank you, education industry. Um, <laughs> So the other two I think are a little bit more compelling. We have someone, someone that does it well, but doesn't have a good attitude, and then someone who has a good attitude, but has low skills. So it's kind of, you know, you think about either or, everyone in this room has probably has a feeling of which person they'd rather work with. But just think about this, um, someone that does it well and doesn't like it, this is also sometimes referred to as doing the dishes. Like sometimes there's just things you have to do because they need to get done, and you don't have to be happy about it, you just have to do it. Um, this can also have some sort of more dire consequences with employees who refuse to kind of do things your way. Um, it's a motivation issue. We do the dishes because they need to get done and we want to keep our jobs, that's our motivation. Um, but when we're talking about things like drink quality or um, interfacing with producers, you know, the stakes tend to get a little bit higher. And it's important to know that motivation is the only thing that fixes this person. Training is not, is not going to be effective. Um, the only time that training really works in terms of solving problems of employee performance or issues of employee performance is this other quadrant here on the bottom. Um, someone who has a great attitude and low skills. That is the only employee you should ever train. 
It's the training can only fix that problem. It can't fix any any of the other things. And it's important for us um, as responsible business people to know and be able to recognize that situation and be able to actually work within it. Um, all right. So back to your productivity words, the thing that you wrote down in the yellow um, legal pad up there. So um, can we hear from a couple people on that? What you wrote down? Maybe. Um, how about, how about this? As a show of hands, did anybody write something like having to do with cost or waste, using less inputs? Um, what about um, speed or efficiency, like getting faster at something or becoming more efficient? Anybody like that? Focus. Focus. Um, what about like becoming more sustainable, like using better resources? Okay, so we've got some. We've got a little bit of spectrum. So I kind of. Now, I've worked in the coffee industry like a million years, so I kind of took a guess at, at where, where we might fall on this. So let's go ahead and click through a few times. So mostly we kind of usually start with these types of words, having a better brand or you know, stronger connection to customers or a stronger presence in a particular supply channel, grocery or fine dining or whatever that is. Um, faster, sort of self-explanatory. Keep going. Um, use less, waste less. Not a lot of explanation needed here, but that can also help us um, be more responsible with our inputs and making sure that we're making the most of our raw materials. Um, buying things cheaper and being able to produce things easier. You know, sometimes we have, we shy away from this in the coffee industry. We want to talk about how we're committed to quality and the romance of things, but, you know, it's important for us to be responsible and, and it's smart to find um, ways to do things easier and cheaper. And then finally, some, somehow like having more meaning, whether that's through sustainability or those types of channels, or what am I missing? Yes, higher quality. Did anybody have productivity word having to do with quality, better quality? Very good. So um, your, your productivity words, anybody think of something that isn't represented up here in these general categories? I don't want you to be left out. We're getting the, the train's leaving the station with these words, all right. Um, so I think just putting in the context of, of of the coffee industry, so. What's this? What? What is it? Can of Coke, this is Coca-Cola. Is it maybe the most recognized brand in the world? Um, so this is like, this is the signal. Time to move on, Ellie, okay. Um, chop, chop. So this is a can of Coca-Cola. Next picture, please. What is this? Coffee. Yes, some nice hand brew, clever drippers. Um, this is from our barista camp last year. So what, what's the difference between these two? One's hot, one's cold. Like how do you feel when you look at that one, the one on the left or the one on the right? Mass production. Yeah, thirsty. exactly, not, not trick questions. <laughs> All right, so let's put this in the context of sort of this idea of productivity that I've kind of imposed and summarized on you with um, hoping that you can identify with it with your businesses. So Coke on the left and hand-brewed coffee, especially coffee on the right. Um, Go ahead. So I want to also sort of lump bad coffee into this. Honestly, guys, um, Coke and bad coffee are like two of the scariest things in the world to me. And I, I actually like, I, I drink Diet Coke, not regular Coke. Like, I don't hate Coke. I definitely hate bad coffee. Um, but Coke is, is something that many of, it, it competes, we compete with Coke for customers. Um, it has the caffeine, it has, you know, sometimes our customers are just looking for that. Um, some, it's available everywhere um, and sometimes might be easier to acquire. Bad coffee, um, 
You know, the thing that I really that really gets me about bad coffee is when people experience it and they they can't tell the difference between that and what we do because coffee is coffee and they, they experience bad coffee and they think and whether that's a service experience or a quality um, raw material issue that it's oh well I don't like coffee or, or coffee's always like this I mean that keeps me up at night and it makes me very angry it's not fair because we, what we do is not that um, what we do is so much more romantic and so much better so just kind of comparing you know coke and bad coffee to us what we do and what, what our goals are so go ahead I'm gonna ask you to click through like let's say 10 times so there's a bunch bunch of words so can coke be more productive and get faster can we yes yes can, can Coke get a stronger brand or bad coffee? Um, they can do it, we can do it. We can improve this way and they can improve this way. So keep going. Easier, cheaper, same kind of thing. More meaningful, higher quality. Coke can't do that. Like it's ubiquitous, it's the same everywhere you go. That's one of the appealing things about it. But you can't have like an enlightenment or like a Coke experience where you're like, wow, this really makes sense to me now. <laughs> and you definitely can't do that with bad coffee because it's bad. So same thing with higher quality. Like this is a, an experience where you, that customer that maybe has an extra second wants to know like Burundi produces coffee? I, I didn't know that. And just has that learning experience. It doesn't have to be um, you know, transcendental. It's just something with a little bit more meaning. We, if we're gonna try to like beat Coke and bad coffee on the sort of traditional ideas of productivity, we will not win. But they have left the door wide open with these other two things. And there's, they actually can't compete with us on these levels. Um, we, had, we conducted some focus groups in SCAA just recently. I was just out in the office in, in LA um, earlier this week and I saw a little bit like the, the data is still pretty raw, like we haven't even really put it together or started interpreting it. But one of the things that's clear is that consumers associate coffee, like especially coffee drinkers, associate it with literally like giving them a superpower. Like I need coffee to be like the amazing woman that I want to be today, or I need it to be, you know, thinking and give this great, you know, uh, sales pitch to my clients. I mean, this kind of thing over and over, like very superlative words. Uh, what we do gives them a superpower. <laughs> like we need to really embrace that and, and really not shy away from it. We don't have to explain them to death. Like they've already said, like you're giving me a superpower. Like that's kind of enough sometimes. Um, so moving on. So this is sort of where all these different activities I've made you do in the lists that we've um, we've put together together. Um, so what I want to really talk about is higher quality. More meaningful, this is where, where we have the chance to really win in the real marketplace out there. So sort of moving away from the superlative um, and kind of thinking like what this really means kind of as a noun, talking about excellence and meaning. So I'm gonna start using these words instead, the purple ones. Um, so excellence and meaning, really making the commitment to these things in what we produce in our daily lives. This, um, so going back to our list um, that we made from our producer, so experience, having a repertoire, innovation, intention, awareness, quality over yield. So, I mean, excellence and meaning, right? Like this is something that producers have figured out. And um, I think we can keep going here. 
the, the producer community and the way that we interact with producers, like we've already learned and we've already learned as an industry to seek excellence and to seek meaning. And the producers have, have really responded to that in the way that we develop relationships that way. And it really isn't either or. It's like we need to really think about that process that we engage with producers or if we don't make that leap to focus on excellence and to focus on meaning, we're coke. It's, the stakes are that high and we can never make excuses for ourselves. Um, so sort of the producers have figured it out. We need to be more like them. What do you notice about this? You know, it's not, it's not really a coincidence. And I think this is really funny because when you hear a word like productive, you start thinking inputs or um, you know, measuring and data and like very boring sort of you know, like P&Ls and that sort of thing. And when you hear the word producer, it's like a little bit more romantic. But like these are the same word. This is like the same idea. So the conclusion, I lied. Um, I said it wasn't a trick question. It was. What's the answer really is that we all need to be producers. We need to approach our work, whether we're roasting or cupping, or whether we're working in a trade show with excellence and focusing on the meaning and the, and the special meaning behind coffee. And we all need to be producers. So um, this is not the conclusion of the presentation. There's just a little bit more left, but this is a big conclusion to the argument. So let's move on. Um, so what does that really mean, though? I, you know, I said that this is a presentation about education. So when we produce specialty coffee, does anybody know what this picture is? I'll buy you Guinness. Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, I, was, I was even thinking on the plane, I should say, if someone says it's the Golden Gate Bridge, they have to buy me again. <laughs> this, is, this is the longest suspension bridge in North America. It's longer than the Golden Gate Bridge. It connects the two parts of Michigan. That's where I'm from. It's called the Mackinac. Um, it's not the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> Whatever. Um, okay, so anyway, um, when we so we, we agree that we want to be producers, especially coffee in all aspects, fine. So we seek excellence, we seek meaning. That's on one side of the, of the bridge. So how do we get there with our brand new employee who's starting and um, you know we need to teach this person how to pursue excellence as, at the retail level or as a roaster? This is where, yeah. <laughs> First stop listening to your headphones at work. Um, all right, so how do, we, how do we get to meaning in our jobs? Like, how does that happen? Are we born having meaning in our positions? No, we're really not. I mean, there's really one way to get from one side of the Mackinac Bridge to the other when we're seeking meaning, and that's experience. And that takes time, and that's just how it is. Uh, most of us probably, if you're anything like me, you spend every day trying to cram in the 25th hour. And I haven't figured it out yet, and if any of you do, please call me. Um, but there's no substitute for experience. You, you just have to do things. It takes time. So. We can't train meaning, fine, moving on. No more meaning, we're not gonna talk about it anymore. So um, back to um, like and do well. These um, employees who do the best, they're um, in the right environment, they like what they do, they do it well. This is sort of where meaning is cultivated. Um, and also, this is also how we can measure excellence and where we really see it keep going. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So how does our brand new employee, um, after he takes off his headphones, we teach him about excellence. How do we get there? What's the answer? How do we teach him to be really good at what he does? Training. Yeah, training, education. So it's always possible with the right attitude to take a brand new employee or uh, whatever, someone in a new position, and teach them what excellence is and actually coach them along the way to getting there. That's how we get these um, sort of 
examples of excellence in our industry. Um, back to the education industry, this is there's some great tools for actually measuring the idea of productivity in learning and in education. Um, so this is those of you that took the instructor development program um, or maybe have seen this before. This is the you can click four more times. So there's actually different levels of here we go different levels of measuring productivity and learning. And this isn't something I invented. This is uh, um, called the Kirkpatrick evaluation. So what this means is that when, when you have learning taking place, there actually are five different levels of how you measure it, and they um, increase in, um, uh, they actually go on a scale along time. So like, number one, do they like what they do satisfaction use? This is the reaction evaluation. So when you train someone, they like learning it, like you, you see that spark, that's a Kirkpatrick level one. Level two is can they actually do the skill? You show them how to do it, you teach them, you say it, they read a book, whatever it is that they're learning how to do something, can they actually do that after the training? Yes or no, that's um, the performance evaluation. So then as we go on to level three, level four, um, it gets a little bit more complicated. This line in the middle here is what you can measure in the classroom. So anything below it is what you can see right away. Level three, level four, and then you can click one more time for level five, please. Just one more. Um, return on investment. Um, have any of you ever sent employees to a training and then they come back and you, you really want to know about your return on investment right away? Um, that's always our sort of knee-jerk reaction. But we can't, there's, we can't really know it right away. The Kirkpatrick model, the education industry says level three, level four, level five, depending on the skill. What they want you to see, they, they want you to see like at least six months later, has it made a difference? So level three, six months later, can the person still do that skill? Can they still demonstrate it? Level four, does it matter? Has it changed something in the company? You taught someone how to use the uh, cupping protocol, and has it actually ma mattered that you can cup more coffees in a day, or you have better, more accurate results, or the um, production rows are, are more uh, uniform, or whatever it is that you're going for. And then five, your return on investment. And they say that usually, it takes about 18 months to really see it. You know, that's kind of a bummer. Um, but the important thing here to know is that you can't really know if it's working 18 months later if you don't start measuring things today. So when you do invest in training, we um, want to make sure that you actually are measuring what it is that you are expecting to change. So we train people because we want them to learn, we want to see change. And um, we need to be able to quantify that. We need to measure it and document it so that you can see two months later, and six months later, and a year later, has it actually made a difference in the company? Otherwise, you can't, you can't really tell if training was effective beyond really this Kirkpatrick level two. And once we get sort of more, a little bit more complicated with how we evaluate things, we can really have a little bit more robust um, approach to, to how, how we actually train. All right, so finally, summing up just what, um, what I'm really here to tell you is that education is the only way to create excellence. Um, and not only that, excellence is our best opportunity to be Coke and good coffee, or Coke and bad coffee. <laughs> um, to be Coke and bad coffee. It's our best opportunity um, because meaning isn't something we can create with training, it's something that has to be invested in over time. So um, education is what we use to create excellence, so um, just kind of Remembering that what we're talking about here is making a difference in our companies, not something sort of flowery and lofty, um, is really winning this way, more meaningful and higher quality. 
So excellence is our best opportunity. Education creates excellence. So education, our best opportunity to win out there. And it's, you know, it's a mad world. There's a lot of, a lot of competition that isn't necessarily among ourselves and really work, focusing on education is the best way to get there. Um, it comes with a little bit of a caveat. First of all, it, um, sorry, can you just go back? Yeah. It's really our only opportunity, like I mentioned this a second ago, the meeting is important, and but it just it takes time. So this is not only the best opportunity, but it's really the only one that we have where we can really predict how it will work and make it measurable. So how do we do that? So remember, is it worth investing? High yield, low risk, predictable results. Sounds good to me. Um, first, remember to train the right people. So when we train the right people, we good attitude, low skills, and then finally, measure it. That's it. Thank you. Five minutes, unfortunately, because I'm sure again there'll be lots of questions. Like, we talk far too much about throwing it to the crowd straight away. Who's got a question first? Dave here. Hello. Hi. 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 Um, I have a question about the Bible
Uh, Ellie, I thought that was great, by the way. Thank you. Really. Um, I, <laughs> I just wanted to ask about the environment uh, section of the quadrant. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. is, that, is that something you see as being binary in terms of that being an environment either being good or being bad, or is that a case of that being the right environment for the candidate as well? It's both. Can you click back to, and we'll put that up there, I think? Yeah. So um, we're talking about this quadrant up here. This is, you know, our best case scenario, high performance and, and good attitude. So if that continues, then it's sort of as a business owner or someone who has responsibility for training, what we want to think about with that individual and what they need is making sure they have the right environment. It also sort of the flip side of it is if someday that person comes to work and isn't performing well or over time it seems like their skills are slipping, um, it's an environment issue and it might not even be in, it might not even be something you can control. It might, you know, it might be something going on in their personal life or something like that. But if someone has demonstrated they're good at something and that they have a good attitude, in some future time they're actually not good at it anymore or their attitude has changed, training won't fix it. That's the whole point here. But definitely I think it's something, you know, when you have a good team and people work together really well, keeping it, um, really focusing on making sure that they have the environment, they have all the tools that they need, and the right type of support system, um, it really goes a long way to maintaining that. Does that answer your question? Excellent. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Eddie. Thank really you. Appreciate you coming all the